0: Lord, we're gathered to see Jesus and Him only. Help us to see you, almighty God, in a single, human, frail baby so that we might be able to see you in the multiple humans who follow you, frail, imperfect, yet holders of your life, followers of your vision, partakers of your divine nature, so that we might be able to see you in us and so that you might come through us into the world that still waits for you. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. So as Vernon told you, we are in the middle, no, toward the end of the Advent series. Advent means coming. It's a time when we prepare for the coming of Christ And it's not just a commemoration of a story that once happened. It's an invitation to be a part of a story that is still happening through our lives. God didn't choose just one people at one time in order to come into the world. He is still choosing people to come through to establish his kingdom in this world. I started with a message that basically recommended patience for those of you on a very long journey. Because some of the greatest things in life won't come except at the end of a long journey. There are no shortcuts to some of the best things in life. And then we talked about prayer, such deep prayer for those of you who are going through immediate traumatic events that your ultimate prayer would be the prayer of Mary. Behold, Lord, I don't have to have what I want. I don't even have to understand what you're doing. I don't even have to have a special sense of where I'm going. I'm your handmaid, I am your bondservant. Be it done to me according to your will. Just use me, that's all I ask last week we talked about the deep joy of being with people who can see what god has planted in you for the entire world but today i want to talk about seeing god every day i want to ask you this question no i want you to ask yourselves this question how will my normal life be different in 2016 than it was in 2015 because of this Christmas season? How will my normal life be different? What is the follow-up to all these wonderful Christmas events? I love Christmas. I've told you this a million times. I love seeing the lights. Becky and I the other night just drove through Lake Barron. We're kind of surprised by the city, the city hall and all the, the lights they got going. And it's in sync. And we listened. We watched the lights flash on and off to that, to that great traditional um, Taylor Swift hymn, Shake It Off. That's what the Christmas life so we're going on and off to, alright, whatever, you know? And some of us have very traditional um, um, representations in our head of what Christmas should look like. Some are, are, are open to whatever it does look like. And we've got, to, we've got to understand that God comes in surprising ways, unexpected ways. Not what is real as far as what everybody else thinks is a real Christmas. I, I heard a story once about a guy who's traveling uh, to Spain, in Spain on a train, and he was in a first-class compartment, and he recognized in that compartment with him was Pablo Picasso. Can you imagine? And he kinda screwed up his courage and he went over and, and said, Mr. Picasso, you are such a great artist, but I've gotta be honest with you. He said, I don't get some of your art. He said, why is it that some of your paintings, as a matter of fact, much of modern art is so messed up. It's so distorted. Why can't you just paint reality? Picasso looked at him with a little grin on his face. Reality. Can you show me an example of reality? And he thought for a minute, he said, yes I can. He pulled out from his pocket a photograph. And Picasso looked at that photograph and he said, is this your wife? He said, yes it is, that's reality. And Picasso looked at him and smiled and said, well she's very small and she's flat. Do you understand reality doesn't come by the symbol? Reality comes in the person. And we've got to understand that no matter what kind of Christmas you expected to have, it doesn't matter how distorted it may look to you, the important part is the person. Last night I was, I was uh, pleased to see what uh, Bud Apton and, and George Schmidt had put together in the, in the manger scene out there. That's new for us. And, and, and we, were, but we were standing in front of us, a couple of us, and we were debating, you know? Well, should the Christ child even be in there yet, to be accurate, you know? And should the wise men be here, you know? And, and, and I'm not sure that Christ looks like a Middle Eastern kid, and, and so on and so forth. And then we said, wait a minute. It's a symbol. It's not reality, it's a symbol. This is the reality. This is the reality. And that's what we've got to see. Christ in life as it is, Christ in my life as it is. Somebody asked Pastor Tom Holliday if they shouldn't put Christ back in Christmas. And he said, you know what? I don't worry about that as much as I worry about them putting Christ back in Christians. That's the point, isn't it? The point is that starting with today's scripture, which I will read parts of, I want you to see something that's so important for all of us to get. It should change our lives. And that is, first of all, that people got themselves in a position to see Christ in an unexpected place, with their life, with their eyes. It's, it's, it says in, in, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, it says, And after coming into the house, they saw the child. They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold. And remember this, Frank sent this. And myrrh. Let me me go to the next one. Let me go to Luke chapter 2. Verse 16 and 17, so they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about the Christ. Some of you listened to me at the beginning of last year when I said, God wants you to to give you the best year you've ever lived. Because I think that's the kind of God he does. But remember what I added, regardless of the circumstances. And so some of you have been reporting to me how your year has been. And the best year of your life did not come to you as some of you expected. One of you wrote me, Mia, thank you Mia, wherever you are. And she wrote not only of her year, she wrote of the point in a much more articulate way than I could deliver to you. This is what she said, the best year of my life, a relative died, I saw God. We lost our house, I saw God. A friend was diagnosed with cancer, I saw God. My car broke down, I saw God. The world didn't make sense, thank goodness, I saw God. I got a new job, I saw God. I volunteered, I saw God. I joined a Bible study, I saw God. I made relationships that will last an eternity. I saw God. I shared the love of God. They saw God. I am a part of a distributed church. I see God every day. Thank you for helping me see God in every situation. my brothers and sisters, is the best year of your life. When you can see God, absolutely. When you can see God in every situation, no matter what it is. When you can take the trouble to get yourself into the position of seeing God in your life, no matter what the circumstances. That is the best year of your life. That's what the Magi did. That's what the shepherds did. And they saw something unexpected. Here was God. Vulnerable. A baby that looked like any other baby, but yet they knew it was God. Do you understand the revolution that happens? The one that we celebrate during Christmas. The revolution was kind of outlined by a book in one of, my favorite, of one of my favorite preachers, Jay Wallace Hamilton, used to be senior pastor of the Pasadena Community Church. He went to be with the Lord in 1968, but I've read all of his books many times over, and he wrote a book entitled... The Thunder of Bare Feet. I just love that title. The Thunder of Bare Feet. And this is what he said in that book. When Christ came, the world turned upside down. Always before then, power was given from those who own to those who don't. Power was given from those who own to those who don't. He pointed out in the book, Baal, remember the, 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 the pagan god that everybody worshiped. They worshiped because he was the god of power. A name for Baal is owner. I own. And so they worshiped Baal because they wanted to own. But the Hebrews had the opposite theology. No, God owns everything. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Those who dwell in it. God owns everything. I don't own anything. I just manage the portion he gives to me. When we bring our gifts to God, we're just bringing some of his own back to him for some specific works that we can't manage. But we don't own it. Yesterday, I, I, I go through my own um, um, Bible study every day. And yesterday I happened to be in, in Psalm 105. And I saw the pattern. I saw the pattern of the Old Testament and the pattern of the Old Testament was leadership kind of by trickle down theory, you know? You give it to the leader and it'll eventually get to the people. And leaders are tremendously important. And so in Psalm 105, it names the leaders. Psalm 105 verse 9 says, the covenant he made with Abraham. Verse 17, sent a man before them, Joseph. Verse 26, he sent Moses. Why all those leaders so that someday, watch this, in verse 43, he brought forth his people with joy. We. We are his leadership. And when they saw God born like you and I without power with all of the vulnerabilities we had needing care just like we need everything turned upside down. So what did they do? Because when you realize that when you realize, no, you are the powerful. No matter how powerless you feel, you are the powerful. You are the one God is counting on. What happens then? Well, let me take a part of your scripture and maybe tell you something you hadn't realized up to this time. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 12, this is what it says. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Let me read from Luke. It says in Luke chapter 2, verse 17, And when they, the shepherds, had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child, now watch this in verse 20. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen just as had been told them. Did you ever stop to realize that the first missionaries were not disciples? The first missionaries were not sent to other lands, to strange peoples. The first missionaries were the Magi and the shepherds who were sent home to the people they knew, to the relationships they already had. The first missionaries didn't know much theology. It's arguable that the Magi had no knowledge of the Hebrew scriptures whatsoever. And it's very arguable that the shepherds knew only a modicum of scripture, but yet God appointed them to go tell, watch this, what they had seen in their own life. You realize, don't you? that you don't have to be a theological expert. That God will not send many of you all over the world to tell people you don't know, to argue theological positions. That all he wants you to do is tell the people you do know what's happened in your life. That's what a missionary is. Those of you In correctional facilities, you don't need to get out to be a missionary. You go back to the pod. You go back to your cell. And you tell them how your life's different because you've seen Jesus. You've seen God in Jesus. You are a missionary. That's the way with every one of us. We get so caught up In these grandiose themes of what is going to make a difference in this world part of it's because we spend so much time watching television and there's all these huge problems that we can't do anything about but we feel like we should really how can i fix terrorism how can i fix you know you name the problem and you're sitting there thinking, really? i got to change the world? On YouTube, I like to watch comedians. There's not enough comedians in my life. I like to laugh. And everybody gets real sober when I walk in a room. So, not, except here. In, in our, we, we do a lot of laughter in our, in our meetings at church, you know. That's how I know a meeting is happening. You can hear the laughter coming down, down, down the hallway. I love that. But anyhow, one of the guys I like to watch, is his name is Stephen Wright, and he's just kind of a weird guy. He's got this puffy hair, and and, you know, and, and he just says things that make you think. They're odd things, but they make you think. He said, I was five years old. You know, five years old, you feel like the whole world revolves around you. And he said, I'm sitting in front of the TV, and this is what I hear. Only you can prevent forest fires. He said, every night I threw a bucket of water out my bedroom window. I didn't know. Why do we take that on? Why do we take that on? Not necessary. God simply wants us to follow up from what we do know. And we simply have to be willing from what we have seen. You remember that picture in Isaiah Then Isaiah sees the the glory fill the temple. And and the image of God, which John 12, 41 says is Jesus. The image of God is between the seraphim and 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 the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. And he's so intimidating, he feels so unworthy. And he says, oh, ruined man that I am. And this angel comes with a coal and puts it on his lips. And then he hears this. He hears this voice from the Lord God. Isaiah 6, 8. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, here I am send me do you understand how unworthy he felt do you understand how unequipped he must have sensed that he was but yet he was the one who was willing just to say what he had seen what had happened in his life that's all you need And if you have the faith to see Jesus, then you have the charge to say something, not in distant lands to strangers, but to the people around you, about what your life has become because of it. The biggest realization we have to make in our lives is not to compare ourselves to anybody else's highlights not even our own highlights see here's here's the important thing about life it's lived every day and most days we live are not highlights they're very ordinary they're very common and they would not be recognized by anybody but God as important I mean, when you watch ESPN, you watch the highlights, right? When you watch any review of anything in the news, they talk talk about the highlights, and they don't get the highlights, but they don't talk about normal life. We're conditioned, even in the summary statements of the creeds that we have, they talk about the highlights of the life of Christ. He was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. Wait, 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 wait. What? He was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate? What happened in between? That's the story. That's the story. What happens in between? What happened with the comma? What happens in the dash on your tombstone? What about the in between? How will my normal life be different because of what I've seen? No matter what your Christmas looks like, whether you think it's a distortion of how it ought to be or it's pretty much what you dreamed, well, you think it's like everybody else's or it's just weird to you alone. What really matters is your own life and what God is doing there. And no matter how qualified or unqualified you feel, by the, first, by the way, the first quarter to, to a trimester of, of 2016, we're gonna be, I'm going to be teaching on how to explain the faith that is in you. Not how to argue the Christian faith, although there will be some of that, but it'll be apologetics, not like you're thinking apologetics. It's just a rational explanation of the Christian faith. I want to equip you better than you are to be able to talk about what has happened in you, to give an account for the hope that is within you. I I want to do that. But none of us will feel fully equipped. None of us will feel worthy. Do you know, I heard a story about this kid who goes up to a department store Santa and he just starts reeling off this long list of gifts he wants. He said, look, I want a bicycle, I want a sled, I want a cowboy suit, I want a chemistry set, I want trains, I want um, 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 boxing gloves, I want a catcher's mitt, I want roller skates. Santa goes, whoa, 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 whoa. He said, that's a long list. He says, I'm going to have to look in my book to see if you've been a good boy. The kid says, oh, no, no need to do that. I'll just take the roller skates. (laughs) That's how we all feel. Not qualified to get all we want. Not qualified to do all we should. But called. I've been reading a book, Seth Godin. The title of the book is "Lynchpin." It has the most interesting subtitle. And it's what attracted me to it, although I do like Seth Godin, he's a good writer. This is the subtitle. Are you indispensable? Are you indispensable? Now what have I been telling you for months? You're indispensable. God made every one of you unique, with unique gifts, with unique relationships, for a ministry that only you can do. You are custom designed for a plan that he made up beforehand, good works that he prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. You are unique. But what does that mean? Well, in the book. At least this is how I read the book. He says, the most duplicatable of companies are not built on a few highly skilled expert and performers because you can't duplicate that. The most duplicatable of country, com, uh, companies are built on the broadest sense of people who are just skilled enough to do what they do, but have the highest sense of personal calling. You can duplicate that. That, my friends, is the distributed church. So we will equip you, skill you just enough to do what you need to do, but I want everyone to feel the personal calling. Because that's exactly the close of the Christmas story. G.K. Chesterton once said, Jesus never tired of bad company. I would add, nor of underqualified, missionaries and underwhelming examples but we are exactly who he planned on using so make 2016 way different way better way more effective we'll help because we're all in this together would you stand for the closing prayer I'm gonna pray, and as always, for anyone listening who has never accepted Jesus Christ into their heart as their Lord and Savior, I'll say in this prayer a way that you can do that. And when I come to it, you simply need to repeat the words that I'm saying. Just whisper them so that you can say them with your mouth and you're making the commitment. Because Christmas is a wonderful time to recognize, oh yeah, that was God. That is God. That will always be God. I want the gift of salvation that he offers. So pray with me. Lord, let us see you not just in spectacular religious events, but in ordinary, everyday life. Let us see you in places we didn't expect, in forms we weren't prepared for. Let us see you. And as we do, those of us who recognize you, call us, to tell others, in our normal life, what we have had happen. Let us go back home, back to the relationships we have to let people know what has been said about this child and what we've seen in our own life. And for those who may be listening, who have not made that commitment, who do not have your life living in them. Lord, let them pray this prayer with me. God, I know I have sinned. And my sin separates from me, from you. And I don't want to be separate. Jesus, I know when you died on the cross, your sacrifice wiped away all the punishment and all the power of my sin. And you give me a salvation by grace, unmerited favor, if I will but accept it. I do accept it. Come into my heart and live there. And come into my world through me, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If any of you said that prayer for the first time, by the way, those of you online, have online ministers, those of you who may be in this room, fill out the worship guide that you have, the personal information, if you want to be discipled, we'll get people right to you to lead you in the first steps of discipleship. And before we leave, let me make a couple of announcements. As Ver, Pastor Vernon told you, we're still looking for cheerful Christmas Eve volunteers. <laughs> Everybody's welcome. If you're grumpy, you're especially invited. But, but we're looking for cheerful volunteers. And so if you'd like to do that, stop in the hub to sign up, and, and, or you can sign up online if you're going to be here uh, um, at Longwood on Christmas Eve. Remember, you can meet Kristen uh, um, uh, out in front of the hub, Um, You can take home some of his music. He's just a wonderful brother. You will enjoy talking with him. Uh, At Longwood, we have a prayer team up front, Uh, and so you are welcome to come up. If you you came in with any burdens, uh, or you'd like to know more about the salvation prayer I just prayed, um, then then come ahead, and they'd love to to pray with you. Those of you online have online ministers, uh, Nathan Clark and Bill Gary. But let's go. I'm going to see you in a few days, hopefully. See you in a few days. Come on back. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. But but let's go. In the name of God the Father, and of God the Son, and of God the Holy Spirit, let's begin to talk about how our lives are different because of Jesus. Amen.